you can find me at Health Fit Collective, which is exactly how it sounds, a collective of health and fitness practitioners, including physiotherapy, psychology, nutrition, we have movement coaches, personal trainers, massage, and much more. Our goal is to guide your dreams to reality, and we do this both within the club and online, offering tailored health plans, small group training, specialist services, corporate wellness, and education. So please go along and visit the page healthfitcollective.co.nz to find out more. You can also book a free 30-minute consultation with no strings attached. Welcome to Best Me Radio. I'm your host, Carl Hammington, and I talk to experts in many areas, including movement, psychology, nutrition, as well as other inspiring people who have done extraordinary things, all in an attempt to provide you with the information inspiration and tools that will empower you to step into the best version of yourself. Hey Best Me community, it's your host Carl Hemmington here again for another fortnightly episode. And here I am sipping away on my Four Sigmatic Mushroom Lion's Mane Coffee with XCT oil. Sounds a bit complicated, um, but I will share this with you in future posts. This is currently my favorite uh, brain fuel as I get a great upregulation um, without the anxiety or shakes that I get from coffee. And everyone knows how sensitive I am to coffee. So this just seems like yeah, perfect to me. And it may have just trumped mate as my favorite pre-podcast beverage. Now this will be up on Rich Nutrients soon. That's uh, www.richnutrients.co.nz. And if you're interested, go along, check it out. Um, I'll provide a post to back this up to, to, to share with you why it's so beneficial. But make sure you enter your discount code BESTME all in capitals if you want to get the 10% off your order. Now, some updates with myself and Best Me. We have a very exciting event coming up. It's a wild food and foraging feast. Um, and that's coming up in August in Wellington, and in which we are almost entirely using locally foraged foods. Um, and I'm doing this with a good friend of mine and a, a really well-known chef, Dipin Patel, who is currently working in one of the world's top restaurants and uh, yeah, world's top restaurants, not just New Zealand. Um, and he's actually the guy who got me into foraging. Uh, P.S. Thanks for that, Dippin. Now, it's a five-course degustation, and I will be sharing some ideas and experiences throughout the evening based on you know my experiences and what I believe uh, in terms of foraging being such an awesome thing to do. And it's going to be a fun event with some tasty food, and hopefully you might learn something. Uh, at least you can laugh at me, and you'll get a good experience there. Um I can promise you one thing, it will be a different experience. So if you're interested, we're going to pre-sell this um, and that'll be going out next week. And to get an insider's uh, experience there or an opportunity, sign up to my newsletter um, and you can go through the website, that's bestme.co.nz and there's going to be limited spaces. Uh, Now next week I'm sending out a blog with all of the details uh, and a link to book in. So make sure if you're interested, uh, get on board there. Now, the last blog post was a really popular one, uh, and it ties nicely into today's episode. Uh, the, the blog was on um, my amazing experiences that I had in the US last year, and had some pretty cool pictures as well uh, from my travel in Yosemite National Park, which just absolutely blew my mind, and the amazing Grand Canyon. But what it's really about is this one question that stemmed from that trip that um, the guest today, Bobby Cappuccio, uh, Cappuccio, asked me. And I really felt like this question truly changed my professional life uh, in terms that uh, it re-inspired me and it confirmed that what I am doing is on the right track. 
Now, who was Bobby? So I was exposed to Bobby throughout the PTA Global Mentorship that I did a few years ago. And his knowledge uh, is just incredible and extensive. But what really stood out was the way that he communicated it. And I've always said that, you know, you can you can know, you can have all the information in the world, but if you can't clearly communicate it, then it's ineffective. And Bobby, he really puts on a performance, uh, which means the information sticks and it's still stuck with me. Now, when I actually met up with him in, in LA last year and I feel like I learned so much more about him um, and this was a real game changer for me. Not only is he smart and cynical or, or funny, <laughs> whichever way you uh, choose to view that, um, but he wasn't born uh, you know, the way he is and, and sometimes I feel like we just assume that these successful people um, are just born with good genetics. But as you'll soon find out, uh, he was faced with more challenges than most people I know or even know of. <laughs> it's actually an incredible story. And in this episode today, we discuss his story, his methods and his tools, um, and also the importance of getting uncomfortable uh, in order to grow and really achieve your dreams. So please enjoy this episode and once again send some feedback but I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Um, I can't see how this story can't inspire you. So uh, let me know how you go and please keep in touch. So welcome back Best Me community and today we have another special guest and that is Robert Capuccio aka Bobby Capuccio. Uh, Bobby has inspired me both uh, personally and professionally and we'll be going into that a little bit soon. Bobby is an internationally recognized speaker, an inspiring author, widely known for his dynamic and provocative style. He draws from an extensive fitness and business background, having held multiple roles in the fitness and business realms. He's also the co-founder of the PTA Global Academy, uh, a fantastic course that I did um, a while ago where I first came across Bobby's work, and it's the first place where I felt really inspired by Bobby, which I'll talk about more soon. Bobby was mostly responsible for developing strategies to assist trainers, managers, and industry leaders across the globe to facilitate remarkable change in their businesses and personally. Bobby also served as Director of Professional Development for the National Academy of Sports Medicine. And his work regularly appears in the prominent fitness industry publications and textbooks. Welcome to the show, Bobby, and thank you for coming on here. Well, for a lot of reasons that go beyond the relevance of this conversation right now, I'm really happy to be here with you, Cole. Yeah, this is this, this is this is great. Thanks. Thank you for having me. No, my pleasure. Um, I must admit, I'm a little bit nervous because I have seen you interview some of the the world leaders um, in the the fitness industry, and did such a fantastic job. Um, don't judge me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Most people say that they're a little bit nervous because they give me such a great intro and then I just disappoint them in the audience. <laughs> hey, is there, anything, okay. is there anything you want to add to the uh, the intro there? I'm sure you've done plenty since then, but um, yeah, is there anything I left out? Well, I don't think anything that you could say um, on a <laughs> podcast, <laughs> but no. We won't dive into that then. So um, <laughs> um, the other no, way Bobby inspired me is... <laughs> I reached out. I went over to the United States uh, last year for, for work and, and pleasure. It was a fantastic trip. And I reached out to a few fitness professionals. And uh, Bobby, uh, Robert, sorry, uh, was one of the only people that actually got back to me and, you know, made time to meet up. We went out for, you know, a meal and a beer. And I just realized Bob, Bobby is a really genuine, he's a good guy. I'm not going to talk you up too much, Bobby. And actually quite funny. 
<laughs> um, so thanks again, man, for making time for for me there. That was that was a really um, yeah meaningful meetup there. And well, let's let's be clear on one thing. I only met up with you because I thought you were going to pay the bill. Uh, okay, so I probably disappointed you a little bit there. Massively disappointing. Yeah, you know, I, I you know, call just I believe that when you do what I do, which is pretty much write and speech and speak and coach, you owe your audience something. Because if it wasn't for their permission, I'm not saying you owe them a beer, although that's definitely a good place to start. But anybody who has the audacity to think that they could share with people in a way, and, oh, I have something to say, and that's going to be influential because I'm an influencer. You know, it's really you're only there by permission. You're only there because somebody listened to your stuff. Somebody rocked yep. up to a conference like next week I'll be at FIBO and yep. they sat in the audience and said, okay, I give you permission to influence me and I will go out and share what you give me with other people, hopefully. Yep. So any anytime I can meet up with somebody who's in my air, I mean, obviously you can't meet up with everybody. You, no. you have to say no the vast majority of the times, but when you can say yes, you show up. Yeah, yeah. Well, we probably I mean, be here in, today. in your case, I absolutely <laughs> regret saying yes, but in most other cases, you know, it's very rewarding to do that. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I learned quite a few things from you, and I was super, like I said before, I was super inspired on many levels. Um, one of the reasons was I just realized you're a really down to earth guy, and you actually came from quite an interesting background. You know, having seen you speak um, and present this amazing information. I I did hold you up on a pedestal, you know, I thought you must have come from a very, I don't know, I just always assumed that you would, would have been this uh, this amazing presenter and have these amazing skills and just a gifted person. Um, but what I came to learn is you actually worked really hard for it. And I guess this is going to guide the, the theme of today's talk. And I really want to dive into the importance of getting uncomfortable and... <laughs> One of the examples I learned um, from you is uh, you talked about how you started some stand-up no. comedy. Are you still doing that by any, by any chance? No, no. I'm, I, I've been on the road quite a bit. I mean, you you got you to gotta do that over and over and over. And yeah. you know, For me, I never wanted to be a stand-up comic. What I wanted to do is put myself in a situation where I'm absolutely atrocious <laughs> and it's so far out of my comfort zone. Like speaking, I do that regularly. That's my job. But when you get up in front of somebody, you've got a very short set and people are looking at you and expecting to deliver something that's funny for the sake of being funny. That's a completely different context. So I said, you know what? Let me do this and see how it goes. And, you know, sometimes it goes really well and other times, well, <laughs> you're, you're there and you do not get a single laugh and you just got to keep going. That is painful. See, so that is masochistic. fantastic. <laughs> it's, 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 it's beautifully tragic if you yeah. look at it that way. Well, uh, a while ago, a friend of mine asked me, he said, um, what would be the most terrifying thing you could possibly do? And my answer was stand-up comedy. So, <laughs> and I love that you made that an opportunity to learn as opposed to seeing that as something you'll never do. <laughs> and I, I can relate to this um, on a few levels. And uh, for those of you who know me, I like to I'm, – I'm quite extreme in many ways. And I'll do something because – I had previously decided that I'd never want to do it, like run a marathon. I signed up for a marathon a couple of years ago, um, six weeks out from the, uh, the sign-up date, 
and uh, sorry from the actual event itself and it was a horrifying experience it was a horrific experience painful um, but I got there it was fantastic <laughs> and I learned so much from it and I really really enjoyed that um, so I'd like to dive into that a little bit with you um, can you talk us through um, your background and why you had so many roles in the fitness and business uh, industry and your boss oh, that my you God, loved yeah. and hated at the time <laughs> Uh, it, it was it wasn't a love hate relationship. It was it was a love relationship. Sometimes though, you know, he 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 saw a little bit more in me than I saw in myself at various points within our, our time together. And I, I think that talking about being uncomfortable that led to him pushing me beyond where I was willing to go. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty grateful for that. And yeah. he, you know, when I first started working in the fitness industry. You know, I, I had a, a lot of instances growing up where, you know, scholastically, it just wasn't for me. So I was on experimental medication for Tourette's when I was very young, like, you know, before preteen, probably about nine, 10 years old. And wow. now the, the medication, they know it's really toxic. Yeah. Um, but back then, they're like, okay, we don't know really what this medication is. And, you know, if it doesn't kill them, we, we reckon it might make them better. So, <laughs> you know, have them take a couple of these every evening and just get back to us. <laughs> on his progress yeah. and you know suffered a lot of blunt force trauma um yeah. in my early years as well so you know i i also had this belief growing up you know basically because i was told and you know when you're told something you either reject it you either take it in and yeah. analyze it and make a decision on it or you accept it and i i guess i was young enough and given the environment that it that message was delivered i just accepted it that you know i'm not that smart so when i started mm. working in the fitness industry i just said you know i'm, I'm going to make up and work ethic what i lack in intelligence i'm just going to work really really hard at my job so i started cleaning all the equipment running around even though you know it wasn't my job to do that but then they told me stop doing that because i would spray wd-40 on the machine and hit the guy in the face next to me <laughs> on like a leg extension so people would complain you know they're getting hit in the face with wd-40 um but they were able to <laughs> like get in and out of places much easier so um that was kind of weird and everybody was looking at me like this 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 kid's nuts but one person who was looking at me a little bit differently was the owner of the company and he just i didn't know he was watching yeah. me like yeah. you know when a guy with a mustache is like on the second floor looking down <laughs> watching you don't even know it's a bit creepy <laughs> he he was watching me because he had invested so much you know, so much of his time and energy and 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 family and money into this company yeah. and he's watching this one guy work so hard not not really not really being effective, mind you, but just putting in a lot of effort is like I just want to talk to this guy. Yeah. So we became very close friends. Actually, more than friends, he was kind of like a surrogate dad for me. Wow. Um, he came from a very very rough background, yeah. so he had a certain delivery style that was um, it was very northeast, you know, very Brooklyn, uh, not very polished at all. Um, without getting into detail, so yeah. sometimes it, it, it was it can be considered a bit harsh, and he 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 wanted me to grow in his company, and he believed that you can't grow in your business if you're not investing at least as much time and energy in yourself as you are in your job. Wow. So this was the guy that would listen to tapes. What wasdom, eh? That's and, fantastic. Yeah, he, he, and they were literally tapes back then, like the little cassette thing yeah. where people listen to. Listening to this now, like, oh, cassette tapes, what's that? Well, these were the things that came out, like, you know, at the same time as, like, Madonna, basically, yeah. in, in the 1980s. 
<clears throat> so I'm listening to these cassette tapes early in the morning on my commute to and from work, and we would talk about it. We'd go out and we'd talk about nothing but these tapes and like what we're learning. And eventually, he moved me from a trainer to the head trainer, and yeah. I was atrocious at that, you know, because because I got bad advice. Some of the yeah. worst adv- advice I've ever gotten is, you know, you want to go out and find clones of yourself. Yeah. You want to you hire people and make them a clone of you. So basically what you're saying is you want me to meet a, a diverse, highly dynamic client base with a complete sea of sameness. That's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life, but I believed it again. You know, yeah. <laughs> it took me a while to not take things yeah. as given. I guess you could say I'm naive and impressionable, or, or, or I was before I became um, wise and cynical. And <laughs> I took that on board and I hired people and thought, well, they're going to be exactly like me. But no, they weren't like me because, you know, they were their own person. You got to be yourself. Everyone else in life is already taken. So mm. get on with it. And I lost half my staff. But then, you know, again, another thing this guy taught me was you can learn if you're willing to, if you have a high degree of aptitude and aptitude doesn't refer, in my opinion, to just intellect. It refers to coachability. How much are you willing to acknowledge that you simply do not know? And what is your level of will and desire? Because you're not going to do anything very well in life, I believe, unless you're extremely passionate about it. So if your work and your play has definitive lines, I think you're in trouble. So I loved what I was doing and I was committed to doing it better. So I was willing to admit, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I can learn. So I would ask myself a question and I would go out and dialogue with authors. Like this is back way, way back when, when the world actually had bookshops. So there were like these, these big, big shops that you could walk in and they had books and aisles of them. And you could literally walk and pick up a book and browse through it, not have to go online. You could sit there in the aisle reading it. And a technique that I utilized was I would ask the authors a question. So I'm a little bit of a weird kid, um, as most of you <laughs> listeners probably ascertained already. You're, you were a weird kid or you're, you're a weird, um, I, you're I, weird I, guy still? I still am. I'm <laughs> a perpetual weird kid. But I was a little bit worse back then. So if I had a question on management, like how do I or what? could I or should I, you know, or, or the big overarching why questions that drive our businesses, our careers, you know, our lives, basically, before I walked into that bookstore, I'd write down anywhere from one to three of these questions, never more than three. And I would walk through the aisles pretending that I was dialoguing with all of these authors. So these are some of the most educated highly influential, experienced people who have gone through. I mean, collectively in a bookshop, you have thousands and thousands of years of combined experiences, successes, more importantly, failures, trial and error that they've succinctly put into a book that you could buy for like 20 bucks Hmm. and get the most salient points and, and the most precious pearls of their wisdom. So I would walk in there with three questions and I would just have a dialogue with everybody, with every book that was contained within the section of the shop that pertained most to the subject matter I was interested in. And then I would find the book or maybe a few books that answered it most compellingly, most specifically. And I would take those books home, and I would highlight them, write notes, and then I would go out and, and apply these things as quickly as possible. Now, one of the advantages I had was I believed that, you know, I'm not too smart. So I would come up with models and acronyms 
that I could take, you know, a few books and say, okay, well, you know, here's real selling. And that would be an acronym I would have. And I'd say, well, well, what do I need to do first, second, third, and and fourth? And, you know, if there was a fifth step, I couldn't use real because there was only four letters. But you get the point. Yeah. Or smart coaching. And then I would take that information. I cluster that into the acronym. And then I'd go out and execute it. Like the main, the main thing of learning is using it as soon as you human and client because then you get to, to, you get to internalize it. And mm. you also get to see where you're making mistakes because whatever was written in a book, it doesn't mean it's going to, it's going to work out just like that because every situation has a nuance. Learn what those nuances are by screwing it all up and doing that very, very early and then go out and teach it. Because yep. when you teach it, you further internalize it and mm. you really understand it and you could recall it. So have, start with a question, learn the answer to the question, implement, use something, figure out what's working, what's not, and then go out and teach what you've experienced. So I was doing that and I pulled myself up to be you know, an effective manager. And he basically brought me into the office and asked me if I wanted to run, you know, in, be a director. And my answer was no, hmm. no, because I just got good at this I'm so good at thing, yeah. at this head trainer. Yeah, this is this, this, <laughs> this is safe. It's comfortable for me. And you know, he, he did like what a mother eagle does to the eaglets. At some point, hmm. you know, she will take their comfortable nest that she went through painstaking measures to craft, and she will rip it apart. She'll like rip the sticks so it's pointing up at them, so they have no place that they can nestle in and get comfortable. <laughs> and they're gonna have to start getting outside that nest. They're gonna have to start learning how to fly, learning how to hunt. And that's basically what he did for me. Now he didn't have me in a cozy, comfortable, blanketed nest. I mean, that would be like kind of like weird, um, weirder than the guy with the mustache looking at you from the second floor. But what he did is he pushed me so far out of my comfort zone by basically firing me as a head trainer. Hmm. Now I was a young kid. I wasn't even 20 years old and I had bills to pay. I was living on my own. You know, I had a girlfriend, so I had a lot of expenses hmm. Yeah. and you know, he sits across from me and says, well, you know, I just heard that you're recently out of a job. Bastard, right? And he said, well, just so happens you might be interested. We're interviewing for the role of director tomorrow. You know, since you're not doing anything, I mean, you know, kind of unemployed, you might want to swing around and you know, pop in and do an interview. <laughs> I so love it that. goes, well, I got the job. And then same thing, you know, you go through trial and error and you start doing something and you're, you realize it, it, it's kind of like conscious incompetence, yep. you know, unconscious incompetence. You know, I start the job. I'm like, all right, hey, maybe this isn't going to be so bad. And then you move to the next stage where you're consciously aware of how absolutely incompetent you are. Yep. And, oh, this really hurts. But, you know, I'm in this new position. Might as well get good at it. And then you get good at it. And then he calls you into the office and says, oh, you know what? We're moving you into the sales department. Wait, hold on. I'm a fitness guy. And he's like, well, <laughs> yeah, but now, now you're a sales guy. Congratulations. <laughs> you know, because this company runs on sales. And, you know, I said the stupidest thing that anybody ever says. And I think it's common with trainers. Yeah. You might have even said it yourself. Where I said, whoa, I don't sell. I just help people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, leading somebody <laughs> to take the first and arguably the most critical step in their journey towards being the best version of himself. Yeah, that's not helping Brilliant. anybody at all. So he wasn't having that. He was like, you know what? Hey, guess what? You're fired. And <laughs> tomorrow, 
<laughs> just heard you're recently unemployed. It's a kind of a pattern. You might want to come in, interview for the sales position, and I was unemployed. So I had nothing better going on. Came in, interviewed, and I you started. You may as well apply for this role. That's a whole different story. I, I actually tell the story of how I became really passionate about sales, but I started off really rough. I love your to, sales to say, story. Oh, God. To say I was not good at it. Sales was intention. <laughs> Well, I learned that. I, I, I learned where intention and strategy merge together. Yeah. You know, they, there's, there's certain aspects. You know, selling is a science. It is a process. And if you follow the process and you get in front of qualified prospects and what you're doing has tangible value, so there's a payoff that goes beyond the investment that you're asking for, you're going to make sales. But it's as much of an art as it is a science in that mm. the process is the doing aspects. It's knowing what to do. But there's this whole being aspect of selling as well. And if you don't get the being down, knowing what to do will not help you because you're disingenuous. And you know, people talk about communication and how to build rapport. Look, whatever's on the whatever's going on in your inner world will leak out into your outer world and that will affect the that will affect the emotional state of the person in front of you. And emotions are significant influencers over our behaviors. Mm. What we do, or in a lot of cases in selling, what we do not do, because if your intention is not aligned with the outcomes that you're promising, you become a threat. You become a risk. And loss aversion is a more powerful motivator than the desire for gain. So you got to bridge those two worlds. But that's a totally different question. So yes, he would fire me and then hire me to whatever <laughs> position you want them to go into. And he, you could have not done, you could have had a better strategy for oh, helping fantastic. me grow into and what a understand. Foundation. All the, yeah. He, I understood every position eventually. And I grew to love every position. I yep. saw how every position seamlessly blends into everyone else to offer a transformational experience yep. for your clientele. So totally. that was beautiful. Did I answer that question? It kind of seems long-winded. Yep, yep. No, that was, that was fantastic. So many, uh, so many nuggets there. It was great. Um, you've already answered a few of my, uh, my future questions, which is great. All right. This was great then. Well, um, next week, we'll catch up. <laughs> um, I guess the other thing that comes up there is viewing um, barriers as – or failure, I should say, as, as a bad thing. Um, what I've learned and what I've learned through listening to you as well is failure being an opportunity to learn. Um, have you got anything to, to add to that? Well, I mean, I could give you all the cl- like cheesy cliches, you know, yeah. failures, a single isolated event. It's not a person, you yeah. know, Thomas J. Watson, the founder of IBM, when a young journalist came to him and said, you know, how can I be successful? You know, he wanted to know to report on it, but he also wanted to know for himself. And Thomas J. Watson, without missing a beat, looked this guy square in the eye and said, if you want to be successful, double your rate of failure. So we know that failure is a prerequisite to success. If you're not failing, you're not trying anything even slightly interesting. And you know, nobody ever get you know every overnight success that you see (laughs) is an overnight success 20 years in the making. Wow, this guy came out of nowhere. (laughs) Yeah, what you did what you didn't see was all of the failures, frustrations, you know, 
staying up late into the night, waking up early in the morning. So obviously we get that. Yeah. Right. But but sometimes we actually perpetuate our fear of failure. And and to, to say, well, here's how you eradicate failure. You know what? Fear of failure and, and fear of a lot of things, you can't eradicate it. It's a matter of reframing it. I mean, yes. fear is a elemental human emotion and you know thank heavens for it because if we didn't have fear we wouldn't be here because you know our ancestors would have gone out and did some really really stupid stuff kind of like saturday night back at uni so they would have hmm. behaved like that all the time and you know there there wouldn't have been like bars and and pints involved there would have been like lions and cliffs <laughs> it would have been a bad situation none of us would be here so we don't want to eradicate failure we want to reframe what it means to us yep. and where we focus our time and and a lot of times here here's stupid advice um, I joined a company um, very, very long time ago. This is decades ago. And the management process of the person who was like my partner, and I love this person. She's brilliant, but very, you know, sometimes smart people say stupid things. Oh, yeah. I remember a coaching session and she sat in front of somebody and said, look, I don't care how you get the outcome done. I'm not into process. I'm into outcomes. Ooh. And I'm like, um, wow. Uh, that and she just kept going my hand was like raising and i was like all right you know what? i just i'm gonna give up i don't want to call that but how exactly do you get an outcome without process that's kind of like saying look i'm into fat loss you know i don't i'm not into all that training Jump off and out. Period is, yeah periodization stuff exactly right mm. how am i gonna lose how are you gonna lose weight then you know with a chainsaw <laughs> um, that's about it. That's your only option. Any outcome that's ever been produced gets there through processes. And this is where play and work and the merging of play and work becomes so absolutely oh, yeah. magical and quintessentially non-negotiable. Because if you Fantastic. love what you're doing, you can immerse yourself in the process. And when something doesn't go quite right, if you're completely attached to the outcome, you start to get nervous, you start to get afraid, and you start to attach meaning to that. Mm, you know, no, maybe I'm not worth it, you know, or maybe I'm being rejected. So it wasn't just a decision somebody made, it was a decision about me. With process, it's easier to step back and mm, that's interesting. I mm, expected this to happen, but this occurred instead. Because it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like motivational interviewing. Rolnick and Miller, when they employ a decisional balance sheet, James Petraskin, the trans-theoretical model of change, also utilized that tool where when you go out to do something, let's say change, and change could be anything. It could be start a business. It could be um, hitting your quarterly targets. You know, It could be you know, losing a couple of the kilos. However change shows up for you, there will, basically there's one or two options. Everything else in between the, these two outcomes is a story. I'm either going to make the change that I set out, assuming that I know exactly in no uncertain terms what I want to do, or I'm not going to make the change. Yep. There's nothing in between. Yep. But here's the thing. There are benefits like advantages and disadvantages to yeah. both. And if I'm focused on process and I understand, okay, first of all, get it all out on paper. You know, if, if I don't make this change, what's the disadvantages and, and what's the advantages? Because you want to think about that, don't you? Also, when you make changes, people think, well, people are so motivated by the advantages of change. Well, what about the disadvantages? Mm. 
And I've asked that to many of my clients. In the fears of the rise. Yeah, it's like when you ask that to a client, well, you know, what are the disadvantages of change? And they look at you like you're crazy. Well, well, what are the disadvantages of weight loss? And then you get, oh, well, you know, I got to buy more clothes. Hmm. And yeah, 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 I understand. I understand the catastrophic consequences to your wardrobe. That's all well and good. But I'm talking about in life. You know, uh, me and my co-author Pete Cohen in our book "Shut the Duck Up." Yeah. You know, we talk about well, what if somebody is? You know, this is a big example. Not going to pertain to everyone, but it's real. Think about this. What if somebody's in a marriage and there just hasn't been any intimacy for years? Not, not only has there not been intimacy, but there's no friendship there. And you keep telling yourself a story. Well, I've let myself go and therefore my spouse is not attracted mm. to me. If only I was 10 kilos less, yeah. you know, the intimacy would come magically back. There. And, and, and I'd be more friendly because I'd be more confident. I'd feel more sexual, whatever mm. it is your storyline is. And then as you start to get towards your goal, you start to come to the conclusion or you start to realize there's little clues around you that, nope, that's not going to solve it. So now you have a much bigger kind. Con- I don't know. Maybe your mom and dad got divorced and yep. that really broke up the family. That hurt the family. It wasn't their fault. They did the best they could with the resources they had. But you made a commitment. I will never get a divorce. And now you're thinking, oh my God, I gotta gotta get a divorce, maybe, because this is not this is not working. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if this is reparable. It's a lot easier to go back into that cycle and say, Well, it's my weight. And you lose a little bit of weight, then you gain it back. You lose a little bit. But yep. what if and, and what if you lose all that weight and intimacy does resurface, but now you resent your spouse because they're giving you conditional love? And you grew up under conditional love and marriage should be unconditional. Ah. So now new problems emerge. So, so there's, you know, it, it's not as, it's not as simple sometimes as you want to go after it. And if you don't go after it, you don't want it badly enough. Yeah. Wow. If human beings were that simplistic, you know, what a lovely world we live in, or maybe not. But when you are into process and you love what it is you're doing, you can mitigate and redirect some of the stories that you tell yourself about why or why not something did or did not occur. Mm. And I think focusing on process and refining it, that sometimes takes your attention off of. And also asking yourself for alternative explanations. Like, you know, if you take a look at the decisional balance sheet, since, you know, we're on that. Well, (laughs) if you you look into, you know, what are the disadvantages of going ahead and changing? Well, that's where a lot of your fears lie in, in that quadrant. That's where a lot of your apprehensions lie. And that's where a lot of your automatic negative thoughts lie. Um, that that's mm, a, a common terminology for the things that we're conditioned to tell ourselves automatically. So something's happened to us. And at one point we attached a meaning to it. We said, well, I'm going to explain this through kind of like when my parents told me, you know, you're not too bright. And I said, well, you know, all right, I accept that. So every time I'd be in a situation where, you know, I tried to figure something out, but couldn't, the first thing that came into my head was an automatic negative thought yeah. That would explain, and not in a very kind way, in a very blunt way, in a self-limiting way, would explain why I was struggling with that intellectual challenge. So you run that through your head. It's that little voice inside so you, your head that's always speaking. You now, made now decisions based on your internal dialogue. 
your internal your internal dialogue is is very powerful. You you have yeah. a very good point there, Cole. It's very powerful in directing your behaviors because it directs how you feel. Now, I don't mm. believe that thoughts are things. Like we always become what we think about most of the time. Yep. If we become what we think about most of the time, when I was 15, I would have been a 16-year-old girl. So that can't <laughs> possibly be true, but thoughts <laughs> affect our perceptual filters, yep. how the world occurs to us. We could yeah. look at the same thing, obviously, and see something and interpret something completely different. And because of our interpretation, we could feel completely different than somebody else the same as that situation. And it, here, here's maybe a good guy for you to um, try to interview in the future. Dr. Joseph Nadir, professor of neuroscience at mm. NYU University. He's probably one of the foremost experts in the neuroscience of fear and how fear affects behaviors. Um, I did an interview with him many years ago and he wow. some brilliant stuff. And he was talking about how in the brain speed is more useful in a lot of, f from an evolutionary perspective than accuracy. Interesting. So you know, critical thinking doesn't occur very, very quickly. <laughs> so, yeah. so emotion affects your behaviors. Wow profoundly so, and then what so what affects case, emotion as your internal dialogue yeah that's one of the th i mean that's one of the things you know it could be you know your, your environment i mean the foods you eat can affect your, yep. your emotional state but yes your internal dialogue and you've got that voice that never stops telling mm. stories now people are listening to this right now and i know a lot of them are saying what are you crazy what voice i don't <laughs> have a voice that's the voice that that right there is the never not speaking voice that will not, that, that, hence why our last book was called Shut the Duck Up. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't have anything to do with ducks, curiously enough. But <laughs> that's that voice, and, and you get this explanation in your head. And sometimes you need to challenge that voice. I mean, that yeah. voice goes unchallenged. And, and, and what, what's the proof? Like, where's the evidence to support what you're saying? And has there ever been evidence? that contradicts what you're saying. And if there's evidence to support it and there's evidence to contradict it, hmm, very curious, why do I choose to look at evidence that makes me afraid rather than evidence to the contrary that might even make me encourage? What's going mm. on inside of me? What's my game I'm playing here? And when I say game I'm playing, I don't mean like you're up to something, yep. you know, dodgy. I mean, what are you trying to protect? What What's the patterns? source of that fear? Write that down. Get that down on paper. And, and, you know, what would happen if I let this go? Like if I just let this go and, you know, I got right back into this process as if what I fear is impossible, what would be the worst case scenario? I mean, if it's like, well, I lose my house and, you know, got to tell the kids, okay, you know, that corner right there, that's home for a while. Yeah, that that, that might require a little bit more introspection. Um, but if, if the outcome is, you know, I, I lose something that I could afford to lose, you know, what, what I stand to gain or what I afford to, to what I stand to lose if I don't go ahead and take action on getting really good at this process to produce this outcome, well, then you might have a little bit more of the internal compulsion to take the first steps. And when you take the first steps, ch check yourself out. Like, what does progress look like? What am I expecting from executing this? What does progress look like? And what does complete and total success look like?
So go through Correct. those phases. Write those questions down. <laughs> In the answer, yeah, they're very important, and yeah. I, so I think you know you are afraid of a lot of things. One, because fear is natural, but other things you talked yourself into it based on a story. So I would assume if you could talk yourself into being afraid, you could talk yourself out of being afraid. Yeah, interesting. So becoming aware of your internal dialogue and the stories you tell. Have you got any tools to, um, to to gain that awareness, or do you just do you literally um, just encourage people to become a little bit more aware, or do you sit and you meditate, or are there some techniques you can use to to help become aware of that internal dialogue? Well, my answer to all of that is probably yes. Um, if it works, use it. Um, yes. There's a lot of evidence on the emotional and cognitive, the, the, the synaptic benefits of mm. meditation, although that's not everyone's methodology. Mm. That's not everyone's path. And if it is your path, yes, do it. If it's not your path, well, there are other ways to focus your attention. So one is being the watcher, right? Yeah. Where you, you think about your thoughts and you try not to judge your thoughts straight away. Although, it's very hard as human beings not to judge yeah. something. We're, we're just going, you know, well, what does this mean exactly? But like we just went over, call, um, ask that voice questions, confront it, challenge it, you know, make it build a case for why it's saying what it's saying. Because a lot of times it doesn't have one. It's something hmm. it heard. Or, or remember that time, you know, oh, remember last New Year's Eve? You know, where you made that commitment and New Year's Day, you're like, that's it, New Year's resolution. I'm losing the weight. And, you know, by the end of January, you got fatter. What about that? Huh? How's, how's <laughs> joining a gym going to go for you this time? Oh, yeah, I, I get that. But remember that time where I made, you know, another commitment at work, you know, to get in a little bit earlier and, you know, take on more projects. And I did that and I fulfilled my word with integrity. Yep. So, you know, why is in one area of my life, I, this voice is telling me one thing and another, another area of my life, it, it, you know, it, it's, it, it doesn't have the same amount of evidence. So clearly what, what allowed me to do that? What allowed me to be really good in an area of my life that I excel? What if I took the same beliefs? What if I took the same strategies? What if I took the same steps and I applied it in this area? Would that work? Um, and, and just again, like, where's the evidence, you know, what would happen if you just let go of that? Yeah. If you just let go of that, how would you behave differently? Great. For the next seven days, am I willing to behave like this? And even when, you know, I, I start to feel these emotions inside of me or this self-talk, am I willing to challenge that self-talk and keep persisting and notice what's happening as a result? Because if you're on the right track, odds are you'll be producing better outcomes because you're engaging in more appropriate behaviors in terms of congruency. Another yep. thing to use is change your biochemistry. Like, you, you, you know, you, you ever, you ever get into a certain mental state where people don't want to be around you? Like, you know, my girlfriend would be like, get, go do something. <laughs> you are just, go and eat you something. Are just driving me mental. <laughs> exactly. Right. But, but yeah, that works. Now, that's a very good point there, and, and, and it's a great segue into what I'm saying. Why is it that when people reach for food, 
you, you never get a client that comes to you at the end of a weekend and Monday morning, like, oh, they're so distraught. I've done it again. Hmm. You know, the Brussels sprouts and leafy spinach. <laughs> you know, I just, every time I see a bag of rocket, I just can't control myself. Yeah. It's never that, is it? It's always these sugary, fatty foods that elevate tryptophan uptake in the brain and elevate serotonin levels, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so, so a lot of times we're not overeating as much as we are self-medicating. So we mm. already engage in habits and we're all familiar with habits we engage in to change our physiology, but sometimes the means to that end, it, it puts us in a situation where get, we're getting relief in the moment, but more of what we don't want in the long yeah. run, there are other ways to elevate dopamine and serotonin. Yeah. Movement, intense movement, it sustained movement is a all very good ways. So sometimes if you're just like in a state where you're afraid and you're getting these thoughts in your head and these emotions that let's just say they don't serve you, how do I break my state? Yeah, that right was going to be my next Maybe question. I'm just how go do, you, for a how run. do you escape from that downward spiral? So sometimes it's a, it's a matter of breaking from it, right? Like sometimes I'm writing and you, just, you know what? I'm going to get up and I'm going to go out and I'm going to exercise. So I'm going to get on the bike and, 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 you know, John Raddy in his book spark talks about, you know, eight to 15 minutes Great book. is, is a short, it's a brilliant book, mm. a short enough time to make serious biochemical changes in the brain and long-term the, the cognitive effects of just 15 minutes 15 of moderately minutes, wow. intense exercise is incredible. I mean, now if you go longer and you, you go harder, yep. you know, the, the benefits seem to compound, mm. but just getting out and going for a run or riding a bike for 15 minutes and clearing your head. It's amazing when you get back, how you see the world a little bit differently. Yeah. So don't believe your own stories. Yep. You know, we are our narratives, <laughs> you know, change the narrative or at least break from the narrative you're running, get back to it later. So that really challenges the whole, um, you know, change your mind to change your body um, belief, doesn't it? Sometimes you can change your, uh, change your physiology or change your body to potentially change your, your mind or your, um, your physiology in another way. Well, Daniel Ammon wrote a book on it. Um, you know, he, he wrote, say, you know, change your brain, change your life. And then he wrote, change your brain, change your body. And he talked about, you know, there's an inverse relationship. It's not just like, okay, if I change my brain, I'm going to change my body. Yep. You know, if I change my body, I automatically change my brain. Um, you know, the comedian Mo Rocco once said to me, you know, with, with this whole mind-body thing, every time somebody was talking about the mind-body relationship, I always assumed they were talking about the neck. <laughs> so it's, and, and it's, it's really funny, um, especially, you know, coming out of his mouth with his timing, much better than I made it sound. <laughs> but it's ridiculous, the whole mind-body relationship. There is no mind-body relationship or mind-body connection because you can't disconnect the yeah. two. They're so yeah. highly integrated. It's very hard to discern one from the other. And you know, he goes through you – know, I, I like what, what Daniel Ammon does when he goes through – not the things that we engage in to bring about the results that we want. You know, it's, it's not like your typical, you know, how to, you know, do it yourself um, success book. It, it's, it's more of what are the things that get in the way of us, you know, being the best version of ourselves? What are the things we struggle with? You know, like how many times do we have 
problems with impulse control mm. or, or attention or judgment and planning. You know, and, and, and you take a look at that and you say, well, where does that come from? Well, that's a lack of character, isn't it? Yeah. You know, people like that, they just need to buckle down. Um, you know, or one guy said to me, you know, recently, you know, people just need a good swift kick in the ass. <laughs> which, which people, people in general, people at random, <laughs> I think you kind of get arrested for doing that. Um, <laughs> or, or you, you probably should. It's, it's more than just a character trait. You know, I, yeah. I think, you know, this is a guy that you know of, uh, he's a good friend of mine, um, you know, I partnered with him on, on a book not too long ago. His name is Dr. Roy Sugarman, oh, yeah. probably one of the most intelligent neuroscientists within the domain man. of fitness I've ever met. And the yep. reason why he's so intelligent, I mean, you know, I, I've never really met um, a stupid neuroscientist, to be fair. But the reason <laughs> why I say he's really bright in the domain of fitness is because he's not just working in the lab. He's not just he's not out there just like publishing peer-reviewed research, which is all very helpful. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't want someone to misconstrue what I'm saying. But he's actually in the trenches. You know, he's the leading sports psychologist with Mark Verstegen and at Exos. Uh, and they work with arguably some of the top athletes in the United States. Um, you know, he's out of, if you, anybody listens to this, want to hear more about him. He's from South Africa. Originally, he works yep. at a Melbourne, uh, really fascinating guy and can break think the, the complex down into the simplistic, which is harder than dealing in the complex sometimes. And he talks about an attribution error. And mm. what he means is whenever we see somebody, you know, saying they want one thing, but they behave in a way that brings about another thing, we attribute that to some internal characteristic like motivation, discipline, willpower, and usually they lack it. Now, hmm. we, of course, looking at this person, we possess all of these wonderful attributes that that poor individual fails to possess, that person who needs a good swift kick in the ass, <laughs> but it's usually wrong. You know, yeah. and if you think about it, it, and sometimes maybe it's right. Maybe somebody does need more discipline, but it's not a matter of, is this thing that I'm asking or is this thing I'm looking at right or wrong? Because there are so many variables. So you never really know exactly. And, and you know, if all we do is tell ourselves stories, we can create a narrative to support anything, can't we? I think the more powerful question call is, is what I'm concluding helpful or not helpful. And a lot of times it's not helpful. Hmm. What might be just maybe more helpful and, and definitely more empathetic and compassionate is when you see somebody who has impulse control or, or they, they don't plan uh, very well. I think those two things yeah. might go t together a little bit. Um, it, it, they're not, you're not dealing with an undisciplined, flawed no. person. You're dealing with a function of the prefrontal cortex. Hmm. I mean, you, you know, if somebody has diabetes, you don't go, well, you have such a really bad attitude towards your pancreas and insulin production. You, you would never say that. And if you said that, like at a dinner party, people would look at you and say, well, what a nutter. Like who invited this guy? But you can look at the brain, which great, I don't know. I, I, from what I've heard, it's kind of an <laughs> organ. Um, and say, well, it doesn't malfunction. People malfunctions, but the brain doesn't malfunction. So if there's something affecting behavior, 
it's got to be like, well, you've got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You're flawed. But if somebody has diabetes, a lot of times we blame them for that as mm-hmm. well. But type 1 diabetes, they were born with it. We don't go, oh, well, that's just a really lazy attitude towards <laughs> insulin production. So, Because it, it's kind of stupid. So, you know, what do you do? I mean, well, there are certain, there are certain types of exercises you can engage in. For example, if you're engaging in things that challenge motor control, they challenge balance and coordination, and it's it's not beyond your sphere of function, as you know, Rodney Korn, co-founder of PTA Global, mm. used to be very fond of saying, but yep. it's kind of like at the outer envelope of it. Well, there's evidence to support that that can enhance um, judgment, that can enhance impulse control, because there's a thick bundle of nerves that connects you know, your, your basal ganglia directly to your prefrontal cortex. So now we have a physical movement-based strategy for something that we very often view as a character trait or, or you know, a, or lack of a character trait, you know, and, and it, it goes on and on. Like, you know, so, what do you do when you're stuck on negative thoughts? Well, that's the center of your brain. That's more yeah. like the anterior cingulate cortex that's, in, uh, that's involved in that sp- well, specifically anterior cingulate gyrus, you know, what can I do to deal with the functioning of this brain center? And is there anything I could do physically to affect how I'm feeling mentally? And you don't got to be a neuroscientist, you know, thank heavens, because I'm not, to come to the conclusion, you just have to have lived life to say, well, yeah, I can think of a dozen times when that's happened. So does does part of this um, uh, probably come back to awareness and curiosity? So obviously... Uh, we make thousands of decisions every day, maybe more. Becoming aware of why we make these decisions, maybe being curious about why we are making these uh, decisions or why we're acting in a certain way or why we're judging in a certain way. Do you think that's key? Well, are you, are you talking about, are you asking me about your internal compass, like what's true north for an individual? Yes, in, in essence, I guess I am, yeah. I mean, like why we do all the things we do. I mean, that's a question I've been asking myself for decades. I think you know, we, we've <laughs> been asking Explain the meaning that of life. <laughs> <laughs> the meaning of life. Well, yeah, I, I mean, you know, the meaning of life. I, I don't know. I, I read somewhere that, you know, the answer is 42. But what's the question? So anyway, um, some people will get that. Other people, what? Huh? Yeah. Read, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Anyway, so my meaning for life is, I mean, if we're going down that rabbit hole, is very offensive. A, a <laughs> yeah. lot of people, a lot of people are going to get very angry. They're going to get nervous, disturbed. Um, my meaning of life is that life means nothing, it means absolutely nothing. Now, yeah. before you like shut this off and go, this guy's absolutely nuts. Let me explain what I mean by that. Think about the analogy of an artist. I, I think an artist is a perfect analogy because. Our tools that we use to build the life around us, you know, might not be a hammer, chisel, or a paintbrush, but they definitely are certain actions, certain beliefs we have, certain aspirations, certain values we hold. So we have all of these tools and how we bring them together, especially if we have a vision for what something looks like in the future and we're bringing these tools together to build our vehicle to mm. arrive at a future that does not yet exist, well, then we are, we are the artist and our lives are the canvas. So artistry is a beautiful analogy 
for life yeah. and the meaning. So we want to paint and a master- masterpiece. Well, well, you know, maybe. I, I think a masterpiece is whatever shows up for you. I mean, you know, one person might look, you know, at, at a painting and go, wow, that's a masterpiece. And another person might be like, all right, well, that's a bunch of paint like on a wall, you know, you guys are way too pretentious, had way too much champagne. I'm going <laughs> home. This isn't for me. I mean, you know, nobody recognized Van Gogh as a master during his lifetime, did they? So masterpiece is very, is very subjective. I, I think what is it that you truly want? And is that showing up on your canvas? So imagine mm. a painter, an artist approaching a canvas see this in your mind's eye and this person walks up to this this massive canvas and it's covered in all this stuff this paint i mean stuff that he's put on it like before over the past few years and then you know his dad came over to a studio and and mom and dad threw stuff on (laughs) your canvas so and then you know like your peers and let's say his teachers they came over to his studio you know he's a very friendly welcoming guy obviously and they put all this stuff on the canvas what is it now that this artist can create what what can he or she do with this canvas and the answer is not much if anything it's just covered in all this stuff and you might you know attach meaning to it you know and and is that meaning true or false well i don't know but is it useful no, that stuff's not useful because anything I create now has to be within the context of the stuff that's already there. So I can throw paint on top of more paint, but I can't really create something original, fresh, and new, can I? Mm. Now contrast this in your mind with an artist standing in a room. You know, imagine any loft or studio that inspires you, any room you like. And this artist walks up to this blank canvas What's on the canvas? Nothing. Nothing is on the canvas. Well, what can be created now? How can his or her creativity be employed to bring forth something that does not yet exist? Kind of like the same thing we do with our future. And this person can do, I don't know, nearly anything, anything. But first, you you have to approach an empty canvas so Mm. what's the meaning of life i don't know maybe it's nothing and 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 here's one of my favorite scenes in (laughs) in film it's it's from a woody allen film (laughs) it's midnight in paris and this is when gil you know the character played by uh owen uh, owen wilson and he goes back in time in 1920s Paris, uh, you know, as you do on you know your average holiday. And he meets Gertrude Stein, and he gives her a novel that he's been working on. And he has tons of resistance. Talk about being around the wrong people, toxic people. This guy's around really toxic people, not very encouraging. So, hmm. but he works up the courage to hand his novel. Now, I'd be scared shitless to hand Gertrude Stein my lunch menu and have her review that. Um, but he gives his novel and she looks at it and she says, well, you're such a beautiful voice, <laughs> but you're such a defeatist. You have far too beautiful a voice to be such a defeatist. And, you know, he, he basically you know, starts rationalizing. I mean, because his past is her future. Now, she hasn't seen 
like the rise of, of Hitler. You know, she hasn't seen like Popot come to power. Um, you know, she hasn't seen like, I don't know, like all of the horrors of the 20th and, and the 21st century. Yeah. Um, you know, she hasn't seen like Sarah Palin. I don't know. She hasn't seen all of these really horrific things, um, emerging. And so she kind of like, she's not really dealing with the same frame he is, but yeah. she concedes. She doesn't tell him, Hey, you know, chin up, think positive. She's like, yeah, you know, sometimes things are horrible yeah. and life can be meaningless. But then she says something to him and I don't know, get a pen, write this down, <laughs> you know, because th- this, this is probably one of the most beautiful lines in all of cinema. I think so anyway. Um, and she says, it's not the job of the artist to succumb to despair. The job of the artist is to find an antidote for the meaninglessness of his existence. Oh, that is great. And Powerful. I was sitting there like, <laughs> wow. If everything is meaningless, that makes everything all the more meaningful. Yeah. Because if you are – think about what really frustrates you in the world, like the type of person or the type of situation – where you say, oh, you know what, I, I, I can't stomach when people go on, you know, give me one call. What's that? What? Put you on the spot. Like a type of situation or, or a type of person where, you know, it really gets your goat a bit. Um, the one thing that really grinds my gears is when they um, talk down to, to someone else. So when they feel, when I, I feel like they're talking to you or someone else, like they're less of a person. Um, so, for example, okay. that might be – I worked as a barista when I was um, a coffee maker when I was a bit younger, and quite often I would, I would I'd greet someone, hi, hey, how are you today? And instead of um, you know welcoming me back, they'd say, flat white. I'd be, okay, I'm good, thanks. You know, I'd answer it myself, make a bit of a joke right. out of it. But right, yeah, really very, very to, dismissive dismissive and condescending yeah i, I get that yeah. I, I grew up i grew up you know um in new york city and usually it was the baristas that spoke down to you it's like oh yeah i'll, I'll have a latte it's like you're not good for a latte it's like oh cappuccino then uh i'll just pour some black with liquid in a cup i'll, I'll take whatever i deserve and, um but think about that if if everything is meaningless it's all the more meaningful because the last thing a condescending and dismissive world would need is a condescending and dismissive person. It's true. It's the last thing. It's true. So don't be so you get to recreate yourself and be someone who acknowledges and lifts up and alters people's states. All even in in just a very subtle way, you could take great pride. Mm. You could derive great power from that. Totally. Just by shifting that sense of meaning and giving your word to something that's personally important to you. So you think about everything that you don't like or everything that you see holding people back or trying to make people small rather than make them bigger, expanding Agreed. Agreed. their scope of possibilities. And that becomes your meaning because the world Beautiful. needs least of everything, one more of that. That's so, so good, man. And um this that's, actually that's leads me, in, we're coming up for time here, but this leads into my, my last question for you. And that is, if it were possible to inject one piece of information 
plant a seed, an idea, or maybe even, you know, a question to every single human being on this planet, what would it be? Put you on the spot what's, now. <laughs> what's, what's your antidote? What's your antidote? That ties in beautifully. Nice work. Yes, my, my question <laughs> well is answered. to defer back to Woody Allen. But Fantastic. what is your antidote? Okay, I'm going to have to yeah, watch this movie we all have now. things we struggle with. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, a gr- it's a really fun film, but that one scene is unbelievable. It, it's not the job of the artist to succumb to this. So and we are And we are the artists of our own lives. The job of the artist is to find an antidote for oh, the meaninglessness of so his existence. What's your antidote? What's your antidote? Fantastic. Yes. None hey, of Bobby, us are getting um, out of this thing alive. <laughs> hey, um... Oh, really appreciate your time, man. This is great. There's so many um, gold nuggets yeah, there. Yeah, me too. And Thanks. Thanks. I have for this. so many questions for you. And I feel like I could talk to you for, you know, for hours on end. And I've got uh, so much more I want to talk to you about. So maybe we'll get you back at some stage. Um, yes, be kind to your if listeners. we can find time. <laughs> <laughs> I said, be, yeah, be kind to your listeners. <laughs> um, but uh, where can people find uh, – first of all, what are you working on at the moment? And where can people find you? Ah, where can they find me? Well, right now, you know, I'm on the corner of no, uh, <laughs> not that people are just rocking up. Hi. Um, well, right now, I'm working on two, two books this year that I'm going to release. One is in partnership with a friend of mine who, you know, friend and colleague. Uh, love yeah. this guy. I have a ton of respect for him. He's um, his name's Craig Harper. He, he is another one, you know, sorry to refer people or that recommend people fantastic. to interview on a podcast whilst I'm actually on a podcast, but um, <laughs> I love he's it. somebody I, I, I would love to speak to. I think you, who knows, maybe some of your listeners might really get a lot out of him. Yeah. He has an enormous following around the world. He's always on the road speaking. Um, he's so such a connector. He, <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I appreciate ideas. And people who put those ideas to work to create tangible value. Yeah. And so, you know, what are you going to do with information like that? You're going to share yeah. it. Yeah. So, totally. yeah. So I'm working. I'm working with him. I'm coming out with uh, with a couple of couple of books this year. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. You know, right now my my main role is within the realm of organizational coaching, uh, cultural development, uh, oh, leadership nice. coaching. Fantastic. So you know, I'm, I'm doing that. Just it just launched a website. Um, robertcapuccio.com um, so still working on that uh, I figured it's, it's better to just launch that so people can look at this and go oh, I love this this is great cool. yeah, this is crap change that yep. uh, you, you get a lot faster feedback um, so yeah and who knows I, I'm probably starting my own podcast this year or Woo-hoo. I'll be more committal I am starting my own podcast this you year are. so, so yeah. a couple of books podcast and I'm working on something very very cool with one of my best mates. Um, this is a name you've probably heard of through your connection to PTA Global. He is the original brain behind PTA Global. Mm. His name is Richard Boyd. Oh, Richard Boyd, yeah. Wealth of yeah, knowledge. Yeah, so we are, we are doing some stuff behind the scenes. Ooh, um, exciting. Yeah, I don't, know if I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it. They'd have to kill me. So, <laughs> so um, thanks again, man. And, and thank you on behalf of everyone else as well for sharing so much wisdom and yeah, and well, you know, thank all of you some for of those, uh, positive seeds. Hopefully, they um, they flourish. Really appreciate that. Um, what I'll do is I'll add uh, your your details to the to the show notes. So make sure everyone goes and checks that out. 
Um, also, guys, um, thank you for joining us once again. And please go along and check out um, the Wellness Couch and find Best Me Radio. Also have a look at bestme.co.nz. You can also find me on iTunes and Facebook as well under Best Me Community. So thanks again for joining us, guys, and thank you, Bobby, for um, joining us today. Oh, thank you, mate. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.